0: Hello and welcome to the Webtoon Room. I'm Will.
1: And I'm Crudy.
0: And today we're here to do another one of the Webtoon Room's very famous Purple Hyacinth (laughs) recaps.
1: Are we famous? I don't know.
0: (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) We have a tiny,
1: maybe, we have a tiny corner of the internet that we occupy. And I think that's pretty accurate for our quote unquote uh, fame or any reach we have. But yes. Today, we are talking about Purple Hyacinth, the latest chapters, 77 through 81, and I'm excited. It's going to be fun.
0: Let's get into it. Righty. first things first, you may notice that this episode may sound a little bit different. Crudy is recording from her parents' house this time around, so if it sounds a little bit different, that's why.
1: Getting childhood flashbacks over here. Yeah, no, I am in my parents' house today, so hopefully it doesn't sound too bad. I hope it still sounds okay, it's still an enjoyable episode, and honestly it's probably the only kind of thing that Will or I are going to notice because we're sticklers like that. But hopefully it's still a fun episode for you guys. I'm excited to get into Purple Hyacinth. We've got a couple of interesting episodes to discuss.
0: Yeah, this group of episodes was really, really, really fun and enjoyable. We got a lot of answers, we got a lot more questions, but there's a lot of players in the game, and the game, well, it's still very much underway.
1: Yes, and there are so many moving pieces, and we'll get into all of that, but yeah, the net just keeps, I don't know about you, Will, but to me, it just seems like the net just keeps getting wider and wider.
0: It does. But also, the school of fish are just swimming closer and closer together, too.
1: Oh, yes. I like this analogy because you're absolutely right. But yeah, let's just get started with episode 77 because that's where we left off. We left off with episode 76, and now in episode 77. We follow up with Will and Kim, and Will has just met his long-lost brother, Raphael. And he turns back to realize that Kim has followed him and has seen the entire exchange. He, you know, and I get it, Will, this is just such an emotionally high moment for him. He kind of just ups and leaves. He's like, I need to get out of here. And he just does. He, he books him. He yeets himself out of that situation. And so we're left with Kim and Raphael. They exchange some words, but mostly Kim just reaffirms her loyalty to Will, and she turns to go find him.
0: And find him, she does. They share a moment sitting down next to each other in a very beautifully drawn panel where it's the two of them together, and Kim starts to tell the story of what happened to her sister.
1: It's really lovely because in this moment, Will is just super vulnerable and she's seen him in a really vulnerable state. She heard him scream out into the silence for crying out loud because he just needed to get out his anger and feelings and frustrations. And she saw that exchange with Raphael. So Will is just kind of huddled over on the ground. He's super vulnerable. And Kim does a really smart thing. And we'll talk about this a little bit later, but she's just very emotionally intelligent in this moment in opening up about her sister and something personal and vulnerable to her as well, so that Will feels more comfortable in their conversation and he's able to open up to her a little more.
0: Yeah, they sit down and Kim talks about Dana, her sister who passed away 10 years ago.
1: Yeah, the watch that we've seen Kim hold and look at and kind of brood over a little bit, that is Dana's watch. It's a broken clock and she kind of reminisces about her sister a little bit, you know, and she sounds a lot like him. She laughed a lot. She was like the sun, had lots of joie de vivre, and she was fearless. And this is kind of an interesting thing. Sometimes other people were scared of her. I wonder, wonder where she gets that from. I wonder who that sounds like that we know. But Clearly, Dana was someone very important to Kim, still is very important to Kim. We've seen Kim looking at the watch and her sorrow being kind of still a fixture of the way she moves throughout the world. And I suspect we'll learn more about Dana and Kim as we go along. But it was a wonderful sharing moment for the both of them, for Kim to open up, because it lets Will respond to her.
0: Yeah, and it's really good for Will in that moment, because he was definitely bottling up a lot of his emotions and released it out in one giant scream. But ultimately, it all helps we Will get a little bit more perspective and understanding.
1: Yeah, he's able to talk through some of his feelings, kind of expressing how he's angry, but he kind of feels like he shouldn't be angry. He should be relieved because Raphael is alive. And for the longest time, he just didn't know. And Kim is able to validate his feelings, which is really important when you have mixed feelings like that. It's okay for him to be hurt, because Will is hurt, and she points that out to him. You're hurt, and she says something really wise. You don't have to hide your pain behind your anger. And for Will, I think this hurt, this anger is compounding on feelings he's already had. You know, as we've seen before, just from the pressure he faces at home, he kind of wishes that he could also escape people's expectations, his family's expectations, and no matter how he tries to fix things, no matter how hard he tries, he just feels like he's not enough. And that, you know, I can imagine just how frustrating, how much of a hole you feel like you're digging and trying to get out of, but you still feel like you're you're in that pit.
0: Yeah, it can feel really, really helpless.
1: I think Kim is a really good friend to him in this moment because, you know, she can't fix everything, you know, and it's not her responsibility to fix everything. But she does advise him to just let go of the grudge if he can, just for his own sake, more so than anyone else, for his own peace of mind, his future happiness, and so that he doesn't have any regrets and I think that lands with will in a really significant way, and I think he really appreciates hearing that from her.:
0: He does Kim and will's relationship has been slowly been built up over the course of Purple Heisen. and this was yet another really really touching moment between the two of them
1: it kind of feels like a turning point in their relationship honestly and i know they've been vulnerable with each other in the past but this just feels like a new level of letting each other in you know
0: yeah we'll definitely definitely let kim in
1: i mean to be fair she kind of let herself in a little bit (laughs) She eavesdropped on a very personal conversation. But I think the follow up and what she does from that is more significant. Her actions show that she deeply cares about Will, despite the squabbles that they get into on a daily basis. It's really just playing, honestly, that they do. But the core of their relationship is just deep care. She really cares about Will and he cares for her. What's juicy to me about this is that neither of them fully realizes how much they care about each other, which is kind of like going to be a funny thing to see. And this was a nice way for the episode to bring it about in a non-obvious way.
0: Yeah, maybe they do, but they just haven't said it aloud yet.
1: Yeah, it could be. Um, And it could also be one of those things where it's like, oh, I care about this person, but they didn't realize. Like, you don't realize that it's a bigger thing than it actually is. Which is juicy and kind of like the delicious part of this.
0: Delicious indeed.
1: The other cool thing is that these two have another point of connection here. Kim has a dead sister. Will has a long lost brother. And, you know, they have these parallels in terms of like grieving and losing a family member that they once cherished and loved. And that's another point for them to connect on that brings them even closer together. Speaking of the two of them, though, Dana and Raphael, if you think about it, both of them have been gone for 10 years. So Dana passed away 10 years ago, Raphael left 10 years ago. What else happened 10 years ago? That was a very big event. The Allendale train station bombing. Are those connected in any way? We don't know, but it's just something to put out there. It seems like These timelines are lining up, and I don't think they're accidental. I think that they're connected in some way.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure on that front. I really like to be left on my toes and just guessing to see what happens next, so it's a little bit too convenient.
1: I know, yeah, exactly. It's like 10 years, 10 years, and I'm like, "Mm, yeah, feels like Mm. something's up.
0: Yeah, It's it's a little too round of a number, too. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> what happened to 8 years ago or 7 years ago? you got to have a 10.
0: What about 11? Can we do 11?
1: I know. Like, where's the love for the number 11? Um, <laughs> but but seriously though, like this episode, like getting back to the actual episode, I really love this episode for Kim and Will, honestly. Just seeing them connect in this way and it felt so organic, just the way that they settled together the conversation they had And I know we've talked about this before with some of the earlier Kim and Will episodes in season two, that felt a little clunky to us, and we just didn't really connect with what was happening in the pages, but this was uh, chef's kiss.
0: Yeah, this interaction between them was built differently, and it definitely hit differently. I was so into this episode.
1: It's just really good, and I am definitely on this train of seeing where the relationship goes from here.
0: I want to highlight really quickly, the art in this episode is so good. I I can't stress that enough. There's this one panel that shows the distance between them, and it's not only great visual storytelling, it's also gorgeous. Seriously. I know we're a podcast, so you can't exactly see it, but go look at this chapter again. Go look at the panels. They're so good looking. I, I was really blown away when I read this one.
1: It Is so evocative, the art in this episode, and it just fits the mood and the atmosphere that Soph and F were trying to set with Kim and Will connecting in this really vulnerable way. It's, I agree with you 100%, the art was fantastic in this episode.
0: Overall, a great episode. Lots of juicy and good Kim-Will in there. Hopefully, we'll see more of it in the future.
1: I think we definitely will. But for now, we are tugging right along to episode seventy-eight, where we meet back up with Kieran, who is walking home from the circus, thinking of his conversation with Belladonna and some of the implications that she made, which we talked about in our last Purple Heist in the recap, seventy-two to seventy-six where she mentions hunting down double agents and the fact that she hasn't seen him this protective over anyone since, and then, you know, we kind of don't really get to know who he's been protective over, but that leads into a flashback where, and we've seen this before in earlier episodes, right in the very beginning. So this has been planted from the very beginning, where a man he was sent to kill recognizes him. You were that boy. But this time, we see more of the flashback, where he says, they know, which we'll get into all of this, this is really juicy stuff, they know, and they, assuming that this is Phantom Scythe, are blackmailing Kieran and have the intention to turn him into an assassin or pawn. And he urges Kieran to never lose his soul, even if he's forced to murder people, do not become the monster they want you to be. Those are the words that he says to Kieran which ties back into all of the moments, all of the moments that Kieran has been affected or triggered by the word monster. It's, it's very clearly like some kind of trigger. It affects him so deeply. So he's got some history with that word, but Kieran ends up killing the man and strings him up from the chandelier. And back in the present day, He's arrived home, and he's thinking to himself, like, there's a reason that he chose Blades Over Guns. And that's something that we've been hearing over the past few episodes. You know, we talked about this in the last recap, too, originating from his spar with Belladonna. Blades Over Guns is something that we've seen, and I think we're going to continue to see this. It's going to be something that we learn a little bit more about Kieran. But he continues musing to himself, I never thought I would have to wait for so long. And then we get another look at the painting covered by the chair. So, I don't know, Will. I have lots of thoughts here. What do you think of all this?
0: Oh, man, this is all so interesting. Uh, We've been hinted at a lot of these things earlier, right? And uh, this is like a nice, not callback, but like this recontextualizes episode 43 just a little bit. Because we see the monster crop up again. And it cropped up earlier in the webtoon, where there was like a near-miss moment. I think it's like an episode 30-something. My memory is not serving me correctly. But all of this adds just a little bit more juice and spice to Kieran's already troubled backstory, shall we say.
1: Yes. And speaking of recontextualizing, too, for me, it also recontextualized the initial discussion, like the first time we see him come on screen, so to speak, when Lauren and him are fighting and then they have their first face-to-face conversation. And he has his own reasons for finding the leader. And his words at the end, I never thought I would have to wait for so long. For me, it's like, okay, this boy has been waiting and biding his time for something. And I have to think. Like, my personal theory is that this is connected to his motivation to find the leader, and we know he was protective of someone in the past. I'm not sure who that is, if that is in fact the man, or if that man knew the person that he was protective over. I know a common theory is that he knew Dylan, or was protective of Dylan. I have no idea, but that's mixed up in there somewhere, and we still don't know what's on the painting that the chair is covering, so... I don't know. It's just really interesting for me to see these clues into Kieran's past. The other thing that I find fascinating is that conversation where the man who he's about to kill, who he's been sent to assassin says they know and that Kieran is also being blackmailed. Holy crap. Can we like break that down for a second? That is, oh my gosh.
0: Let's just go down the obvious questions. Who is this person? How does he know this? What kind of situation has Kieran been put in? Who's ordering him dead? Oh man, there's a, there's a whole
1: laundry list. I know. Yeah, we still don't know the who or the what in the phrase. They know. Who is the they? What do they know? We don't know. Um, but the thing that I want to point to is that Kieran is important enough to be blackmailed which is interesting to me. And that, to me, that speaks to three things. And I want to hear your thoughts on this too, because you and I have talked about this and we have had our theories just outside of this podcast. But the fact that Kieran is important enough to be blackmailed tells me three things, or rather gives me three options. One, he saw something. Two, he knows something. Or three, is someone important, or any combination of those three.
0: My guess right now is that it's a mix of two of those things: that he is important and he knows something. But again, I don't know. This raised so many more questions than it gave answers.
1: Can I share a theory? Are we even are we sharing theories right now? Because I definitely, have.
0: We're definitely in theory land.
1: <laughs> okay, because, and I don't want to claim full credit for this because I think you came to this conclusion as well, but. Current theories, Kieran possibly being the illegitimate or an illegitimate royal child. I don't know what it is that he knows, because this really comes down to, like, I mean, him being someone important and potentially seeing something important. We don't know if he knows anything or not, but this would make sense in certain ways. He's been blackmailed and turned into a pawn which is an excellent way to neutralize a potential enemy to get them to work for you and having them do your dirty work. And then, when the phantom scythe completes their revolution, overturns the government, who better to place on the throne than upon one who not only has blood ties to the past royal family, but also someone who has been wronged by them. And he may not Even have been necessarily wronged, but that doesn't matter. It almost doesn't matter because that's something that you can just do like a PR spin on of like, he's a royal illegitimate child. He's been abandoned by the royal family and he's lived this life up until now, you know, yada, yada, yada. But yeah, there's possibilities here. And I'm in deep like theory territory. So none of this is kosher necessarily, but it's interesting to think about.
0: It is. And I gotta say, part of what led me down this line of thinking was the never forget who you are line. Granted, that could just be, you know, don't lose sight of yourself, don't become completely their slave, you know, as you mentioned earlier, but who you are, the emphasis on the are, is really what pushed me into this rabbit hole.
1: You're absolutely right. There's so many potential just clues I didn't even realize that, I I didn't make that connection until you said it just now, but you're absolutely right. It makes perfect sense. Like, if this is in fact the case, this would make perfect sense. I guess the question to think about now is, like, whose illegitimate child would he be? Because I think the king is blonde, and um, the queen is the one with the darker colored hair.
0: Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to keep reading to find out. But back to the episode, which is, Back to Lauren
1: she's also walk of shaming home like Kieran. she's kind of reeling from the information that Sandman has given her because she has also received a ton of information in a very short span of time and she's just trying to parse things through, process what she's learned because her world has been kind of turned upside down.
0: Yeah, she replays a lot of the conversation in her head, but also she really focuses in. On the one lie, Sandman told.
1: I know, it's bothering her. Like It it just bothers her in her head. And she thinks about Dylan's body, who was missing, the fact that Sandman knew him, and Sake's lies about who was alive in the car. Yes, no, I don't know. And she starts to think. The hamster wheels in her brain start to turn. And so she starts wondering, did they take Dylan anywhere? Where did they bring him? And she wonders, there's a possibility, because it's always felt a little bit off to her, but everyone around her was saying, oh no, you know, you've got to let go. She starts to wonder if he could still be alive.
0: Yeah, this theory has been floating around in the Purple the fandom. I'm sure, as many of you know, we're back to the age-old question. We've talked about it a lot, Kurti. Is Dylan alive? Is he dead? If he's alive, where is he? What happened to him? Nobody, no death.
1: I know, that's what we keep coming back to. No body, no death. And this is a thing in television. This is a trope. If you don't have a body, you can't count on them being dead.
0: Yeah, and this circles me back to the theory that Kieran knew Dylan at some point. They met at some point. They had some kind of significant interaction or relationship. What that is, I still don't know, but I'm back in that camp now.
1: Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. And the fact, too, because I'm starting to think, like, with Kieran's backstory and then Lauren's backstory being... These two things being talked about in the same episode makes me feel also a little bit like they're connected. You're right. And I think Dylan is going to come back in a major way in season two, somewhere down the line, because season one was really building up to that reveal, right? Right the why behind Lauren's actions, what's haunting her, who is Dylan to her, and when we learned the truth, it broke our hearts. And since then, we haven't really had too much to do with Dylan, to be honest. Lauren's initial motivation and her relationship with him has kind of taken a backseat to all the other things going on, the nitroglycerin, the curin trauma, the investigation of Loon, but it's nice, and this episode reminds us that he's still there in the background. It is going to come back into play.
0: He still casts a shadow over Lauren, for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely. And speaking of things that still cast a shadow over Lauren, her mistake with Tim's sake, ha-ha, has come back to haunt her. When she gets back home, the telephone rings, and she receives a call from Detective Marsh letting her know that she's a suspect in Tim Sake's murder.
0: Yeah, sick rhyme, by the way. And yes, this was the cliffhanger we were left on, and it segues very nicely into the next episode.
1: Lauren comes downstairs the next morning, looking like death, and she comes across Tristan, who's reading a newspaper, acting super casual. But he's really concerned, and you can tell. He asks her where she went last night because she wasn't home and she doesn't hide that she was at the circus, and Tristan just gives her a look like, my girl, you and your talent for scrapes, and I do not blame him because, yeah, Lauren does have a talent for getting into sticky situations, and I know we've talked about Tristan being shady in the past. I've kind of changed my tune around Tristan a little bit. I can talk a little bit more about that in my takeaways at the end or later thoughts, but I think he is genuinely concerned.
0: Actually, why don't we get into it now? Because I am curious, Kurti, what are your thoughts on Tristan?
1: So at first I thought that he was really shady and it makes sense. He was looking through Lauren's investigation board and that one scene early on in season two where he's like, Lauren, what's your angle? And he's looking very serious. So initially we were kind of wondering about Tristan, like who is he playing for? is he on the side of the quote-unquote good guys? But with the reveal recently from the latest Purple Hyacinth arc we discussed in 72-76, to where Lauren learns that her parents were apostles, and Sandman was taking them to all kinds of meetings at all hours of the day, kind of like the schedule that Lauren keeps now, which makes sense why Tristan would have concerns about her And suddenly, to me, the question, Lauren, what is your angle, makes so much more sense. Because Tristan is wondering the same things about his niece that we have been wondering about him.
0: That's a great point, and I had considered it from that angle. Huh? (laughs) Ha 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 ha. I am so funny. (laughs) Anyway, to me, though, Tristan is still shady. He does show genuine concern for Lauren in this moment. I do believe that. I still don't trust his intentions.
1: That's a fair take. And I guess it's going to be one of those things that we'll just have to see what happens and where Tristan lies on this spectrum of good or evil. But moving on with the episode, Lauren walks into the busy precinct. She knows what's coming. And everyone immediately stops when they see her. Uh, Kieran's also watching over her too. And Will and Kim immediately go to her because things are not looking good.
0: Yeah, they spell it out. Lauren already knows it, but they talk about it anyway. How eh, this this situation does not look good for her. And there's a bit of a sweet moment there where Kim and Will do show their support for her, and they are looking out for her despite all these happenings.
1: Yeah, it's nice to remember that these three have a genuine, real friendship. It's hard when all of the machinations are happening and Will and Kim are expected to hunt down Loon, who we know is Lauren, but at the core of it, these three love each other and they care about each other. And someone else shows their care, a little more privately, a little more anonymously, when Lauren's at the lockers, Kieran comes up to her and he asks if she's okay and if she made it home safely the other day, was she seen? And the thing that stood out to me about this exchange was that Lauren doesn't disclose about Sandman just yet.
0: Yeah, this is all a little bit too fresh for Lauren, so I can see why she didn't tell Kieran, but, uh, I'm not gonna lie, I felt a little like, homegirl, you're not gonna tell the guy who's also in the same trouble that you are. Like, come on... I get I get it that this is a lot to take in, but this is your partner in crime.
1: I mean, really, though. Yeah, I, I kind of had to think about that, about why Lauren kept Sandman to herself. You know, at least for now. She may tell him later. We don't know. And my two theories about why this might be is just, A, that she and Kieran have a rapport now, but she still doesn't trust him fully, maybe. And because this news is more personal and sensitive, it involves her parents and Dylan, in addition to all of the Phantom Scythe updates. It cuts deeper than everything else. The other option is that because it is personal and sensitive, she may not see it as pertinent to share with him. This happened before in Season 1, and granted, they had a deal to not share personal information in Season 1, and they knew each other a little bit less, they know each other more now, but... She may think that since her alliance with him is over the upcoming bombing and not her personal quest to uncover more about the Phantom Scythe, maybe she didn't see it as relevant, or it could be a combination of the lack of trust and her not seeing it as relevant. I don't know. What do you think?
0: It could be a lack of trust, but thinking about it from the outside, Sandman has a picture of you and the Purple Hyacinth, and he knows who the Purple Hyacinth is. This seems like really important stuff that Kieran should know about. I think you are right that there's some personal component to it where she doesn't want to disclose this part of her private life, but I think they're too intertwined right now for them to keep secrets, especially about something like this.
1: Uh, Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're 100% on the money with the photograph and Sandman knowing who the Purple Hyacinth is I actually didn't think about that. It, you know, it could be possible that she just needs a moment to process everything that she's learned before she shares it with him. I think that's actually pretty likely because I think Lorne is smart enough to recognize that, yeah, he has a photograph. This could potentially be picked up somewhere and they could potentially be just in some pretty deep trouble. And we know that Lorne has been thinking about these things because she brings it up when Kieran and she are discussing alibis, but we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Kieran first asks her about Sake, and what exactly happened to Warrant the kind of suspicion that she's getting in the precinct, because it's a little bit... Yeah, it's... It's a little bit wild. Everyone is looking out at her.
0: Lauren finally spills the beans to Kieran about why Tim Sake has a restraining order against her. Turns out, she had a very very angry outburst against Tim Sake when he lied about his whereabouts, but his alibi was rock solid.
1: Yeah, and this was a scene we saw sometime in season one, I forget exactly which episode, but Lauren blew up because she could detect Sake's lies that he was telling that he was innocent, and then he started talking about the Allendale train station bombing, and she just, she lost it. Despite her restraining order, Lauren follows him one night anyway. She hears a gunshot and she sees him bleeding on the ground. Her instincts kick in. She rushes to save him, calls an ambulance, and she's met with suspicion by the EPD, which makes a lot of sense. She's not supposed to be anywhere near him, and here he is bleeding on the ground. Although it's silly because I don't know that she would have called an ambulance if she had intended to let him die. But anyway, a witness confirms her innocence that she came on after he got shot.
0: Yeah, you're right. Uh, Lauren doesn't strike us as the kind of type to want someone dead and then call in the help. That would be very out of character for her. But learning all this information, it does make sense why she doesn't really want to open up to Kieran about it. It's definitely a little bit shameful for her.
1: Yeah, definitely. Luckily we don't linger on it too long. Kieran asks her about her alibi next. Because that's really what the core of the issue is what is she going to say to the police when they question her? Because she is going to be questioned. And Lauren tells him that she is going to tell them that she was at the circus. And Kieran is like, lady, what the heck? What is the point of running away if you're going to tell them that you were there? Uh, Which makes perfect sense. I totally understand his reasoning. But I also really understand Lauren's reasoning. Because she says that, She spoke to the circus members before and during the show. She wasn't even disguised. And it is actually better for her that she fess up now before they interview them and it gets exposed later on. And I think she is making the smarter choice here.
0: Yeah, she's volunteering information that the investigation is going to find out anyway. Which, I agree, makes total sense.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And her reasoning for not saying that she was on a date with Karen also makes total sense to me.
0: Yeah, she doesn't want to put any suspicion on Kieran.
1: Exactly. And to me, I know that the shippers were basically just a little disappointed in this moment, and I understand that feeling. But if you think about it, there is a difference between lying to get out of an awkward work situation and lying in a police investigation. And not just lying, but tying Kieran and her together in a police investigation. These things are recorded. They're going to have records and they are already loon suspects or, you know, they just they associate together and they are already trying to keep that on the down low. So it makes perfect sense that Lauren does not want to mention him.
0: Yeah. Lauren then goes on to drop the bomb that she's just going to tell the truth.
1: bit of a cliffhanger here, which makes sense. and. We see the continuation of her thought in episode 80, where she says, I'm going to tell the truth, kinda. And she is being questioned by the detectives and Herman, and she's basically running them through her night. She was at the big tent. She left midway through because she saw Sake enter, and she needed to leave because of her restraining order. Herman doesn't buy it. Of course, he's Herman. He throws in a golden viper venom jab. Telling her people drop like flies around you, Sinclair, talking about Harvey and now Sake. And the next couple panels are interesting to me because we see that murderer lettering come back as if it's haunting her, and the faces of the Allendale bombing deaths, the victims haunting her as well. And I don't know about you, Will, to me, I'm interpreting this as less of Lauren actually being a murderer, but more. Of her survivor's guilt. I think she just feels a lot of guilt. I think we mentioned this actually in our season one review when we did this way back when. But she has a lot of guilt and I think that that's what's surfacing when Herman says things like that.
0: Yeah, I agree. It definitely seems to bubble back up, especially during this scene.
1: Meanwhile, March is reasonable. A phantom sight assassin has been known to use the MO for years who we know is Belladonna. And there's a decade of cold cases to back that up. But Herman points out that she could be copying the killer. And he implies that she used her family's money to get the venom. Which is like, Herman, buddy, we know, we know he's an ass. And there's a variety of reasons why he could be an ass. But this feels like a new low. Like, come on, dude, you're a policeman. You're in charge of a police and detective unit. There's due process for all of this stuff, and March jumps on that real quick, and he's like, Herman, back down. And he does, which is awesome. And he points out that they need evidence. They need evidence to point anything on Lauren, or anybody else for that matter, and until she's proven guilty, she is innocent. But that doesn't mean she's completely off the hook. Lauren is benched until the investigation is over. And she's basically going to be watched. She has to be escorted to and from anywhere by someone in the department. And at home, she's got Tristan, who is able to kind of look over her as well. So, yeah, she's she's under some scrutiny, our girl.
0: Yeah, she uh, is being escorted now everywhere by another officer or detective at all times. And, uh, yeah, just being... Generally, you know, surveilled by your own workplace, you know, the usual.
1: Just a really comfortable work environment, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But in the meantime, Kieran is looking over and reviewing Chow's case. Like while Lauren is being questioned, he's looking over some case files and he's reading the transcript of Lauren's interview, Back When She Loses It with Sake. And he's thinking to himself about some of the interactions that he's had with Lauren one where she shares about her detective backstory, and also flashing back to 43, where he calls her out for only being mad that he killed Anslow. And he wonders to himself, what did you see in that photo, Lauren? Because that's something else she hasn't shared with him. But a few days pass, and we look in on Lauren and company at the precinct, and we've got some tension in the air.
0: Yeah, it's a little awkward at the precinct today. Kim and Will have a little awkward thing going on, and Lucas and Lila are also having their own little thing going, too.
1: Yeah, it's super funny, because I love I love this because Lorne is not the subject of drama for once. She's sort of like the onlooker to everyone else's problems, which is a refreshing little moment of levity. Kim comes up to her to complain that Will is avoiding her, and it's hilarious because she's annoyed that it bothers her that he's avoiding her, but she also doesn't understand why she's so bothered by it, and (laughs) Will is just keeping his head down, he's not interacting, most likely because he's just, I mean, it makes sense, you know, they were so vulnerable with each other, and they're kind of in this awkward situationship that's happening. And then meanwhile, you have Lucas and Lila, which... It's hilarious to me, by the way, on some level, because yes, I think they're super cute, but it's also a funny realization because this is the first proper shippy moment that we have between Lucas and Lila, but the fandom has been hardcore shipping them like long ago, so it almost feels like, yeah, duh, like of course this is happening. But anyway, they're having their cute little moment, he's leaning against her desk, cute cute. And she asks him if he's coming to the New Year's party. And he answers in, like, a very Lucas way. It's like, where you can't tell if he's flirting or being ominous, you know?
0: (laughs) He is the master of giving mixed signals.
1: I know, right? Lila's like, but (laughs) don't, question mark? Needless to say, Lauren is relieved when she can finally leave the precinct.
0: Yeah. And it's at this point that she gets escorted home. And guess who's waiting for her at home?
1: Our beloved stalker boy, Kieran. He shows up behind her, having followed her from the precinct. And he gets to the heart of the matter pretty quickly. He's got info that will help prove Sake's guilt in the Chow case. Dun dun dun.
0: And it rolls right on in into episode 81, where Lauren is having a midnight escapade to Kieran's house.
1: She's coming over. Yeah, she sneaks out in the middle of the night, which is not unusual for Lauren, but she's under special scrutiny now. So she's like, okay, this better be important that you called me here because it's freaking risky for me to be here and leave the house. And he'd called her there to discuss his findings for the chow case. Ostensibly, I imagine that he called her to his place just to have some privacy. That's the only reason why I could think that he would call her over. Not only because it's, like, juicier to the Plot and test fans, but, you know, I can understand wanting to keep that conversation private and not out in the open.
0: Kieran definitely had some very sensitive information to share. He reveals to Lauren that he found a witness, a very important witness, who can probably disprove Sake's alibi.
1: We find out that Seik had a pretty extensive history as a hitman, and he usually left a trail of witnesses too. Some he killed, others whom he intimidated, and he has one such witness in the Chow case. So Seik had wormed his way out of suspicion by visiting a neighbor for a beer that night, and then afterwards left to murder Chow, and after that hide the weapon at Maria's apartment or house. The grandma who lived in the alley next to where Chao was killed by Sake witnessed the entire thing, it turns out. And Sake had threatened her immediately at the time, so that she wouldn't say anything to the police, but Kieran followed up with her, since the papers are now circulating that Sake is dead, to check her tale to see if she would be willing to change her tune about what happened that night and Kieran, we all know Kieran, he charmed her thoroughly, and she is ready to talk and testify in court, which is big. If she changes her statement, this case could be reopened.
0: Yeah, and Lauren is straight up stunned by this information. She even questions Kieran, like, why are you doing this?
1: God, this is such a juicy moment. Ah, there's so many great moments in this episode, and this is one of them. They definitely share a moment after this when she asks him why are you helping me and Kieran lies he doesn't usually lie to Lauren because he knows that she'll know that he's lying but he does this time and he says no particular reason and you know the art is very beautiful it's sparkly around her and around him and yeah it's a definite it's a definite moment but Kieran interrupts it to go back and get the coffee cuz Lauren had requested a coffee in the middle of the night girl um <laughs> no wonder your sleep schedule is whack. And he says that Lauren needs to be honest about what happened between her and Sake, and that's the only way that he'll be able to help her. And while he's doing that, he's handing her the coffee and their fingers touch around the cup. Oh boy. This is a moment for the two of them.
0: And it's not a shippy moment between them. It gets really intense really fast.
1: You can see visibly. How deeply both of them are affected. That's one of my favorite panels, actually, because you can see in their eyes how glassy they are from shock and distress in that panel and how triggering it is for both of them. They both instantly flash back to, you know, Karen, that iconic, lifeless, cold, deadly stare, and Lauren being slammed and choked out, like choked out violently against the cave wall. And um, by the way, I was writing notes for this episode, and in doing that and writing notes about the section, I realized that I don't think either of them have been to that cave since that night, which says something about how traumatized both of them are by it. Anyway, they pull back instantly. Lauren's holding her neck, and Kieran is just clutching his right arm, the one that he choked her with.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really intense, and what speaks volume is what happens next. They both look away from each other, and they can't look each other in the eye, but they try and move on to a different topic. And the reflection in the coffee cup? Oh boy.
1: These panels were so good. Kieran's looking down at his bloody hand, and his bloody face is echoed in the coffee cup. His eyes are sort of glimmering through, and it says monster. And then you get the second panel of the same shot with like normal hands in the cup. And it's just, ugh, it's such a genius way to visually convey his trauma and how he's haunted by that night. So good.
0: Yeah, and immediately after, he can't look at Lauren, Lauren can't look at him. And Kieran changes the topic.
1: Yeah, he is visibly awkward and stuttering and, you know, he asks what Sake told Lauren the morning she got her concussion. And she tells him that He didn't say anything in that conversation, but she'd overheard him telling Belladonna about Chow's case at the Carmine Camellia when they both infiltrated. They both know that they need evidence to pin stuff on Sake, especially now that he's dead and can't defend himself. They do have something physical and concrete that they would be able to pin on him. He had a black market sedative on him that he used on Maria Chow, and they have a path forward. They can try and look through his record because he has an extensive one. And if they can establish a correlation, it's something at least to start working off of. And they have a lovely little moment at the end when Kieran is looking at her with sincerity and a little bit of pride, maybe. And he's like, it's your time to shine, detective, which I loved. That was, ugh. Tell me tell me what you think, Will, because I got my own feels about it.
0: Oh, man. Kieran dropping the detective line. Ooh. Oh. Hmm. Digging it. This was a juicy moment. And we've talked so much on these recaps about their ongoing relationship and how much do they trust each other? How much will they let each other in? And Kieran calling Lauren detective was just a crowning moment for me of this entire last arc of season two.
1: I know. It just felt so earned and so satisfying at the end. I think that's like Rather than any shippy moment that we could have had, and trust me, I love the shippy moments, but this just felt so validating, and the best part of it is that I think Lauren felt exactly what Kieran was putting down, because he wasn't teasing her like normal, he wasn't being his normal, kind of flippant self, he was sincere, and she could feel every little bit of that, and I love it too because it's genuinely supportive. Lauren has received so much suspicion and so much backlash from the precinct, except for some of her friends, and she has some allies like March, but to have someone be in her corner like that, and especially for Kieran to do something that he didn't have to do, which to me is the key thing here. He didn't have to do any of this. He doesn't have to be helping her in this way, although I think he has motivations for helping her, but this moment in particular, he didn't have to do this, and it just showcases their. Developing relationships so wonderfully.
0: Their bond has definitely been developing despite their ups and downs. And oh my gosh, you're right. This is just such a wonderful, wonderfully earned moment. And I have
1: so much respect for the way that we navigated this episode, too. Because while we have this wonderful moment from them at the end of support and sincerity, we still get reminders that. Both of them are haunted and traumatized by that night. And they've got a lot to work through. They can't even touch each other, at least skin to skin. I think they can, if Lauren had her gloves on and, you know, she was holding onto Karen's arm at the circus, that was fine. But it's like skin to skin contact triggering, so triggering for the both of them. And they have a lot to work through, even as their rapport is developing and solidifying even more. It's interesting, and it's just interesting to navigate this relationship that's developing between them. Speaking of, though, why do you think Kieran is helping Lauren?
0: I'm not entirely sure. It's probably a mix of a bunch of different things. One of them being that Kieran definitely cares for Lauren a lot.
1: Yeah, I think she's definitely entered that box that he's put around his heart. And I don't mean necessarily in a romantic way. I just think that he cares about her as a person and he wants her success. He doesn't want to see her brought down. The other thing that I will say to that as to why he's helping her, I think he has a direct invested interest in her not being in jail. He kind of needs her to be able to track down stuff for the massive bombing with him. So yeah, I think that that has quite a lot to do with it as well. I know as shippers, it it can be really exciting to be like, oh, there's a lot of feeling in that moment. And I genuinely think there is, but I think there's also a very practical reason why he is helping her out and going to so much effort and lengths to uh, get her acquitted, so to speak, even though she's not accused of anything.
0: Yeah, definitely. And this ties in nicely with my closing thoughts for the entirety of these last couple episodes. Kieran and Lauren's relationship has been slowly building and developing from episode 50 all the way till now. And it culminated in a very satisfying moment of detective. That one hit differently. That was a great moment and just kind of puts a nice capstone on the entirety of these last couple episodes.
1: Ah, oh, absolutely. It really was such a, such a satisfying moment, especially when you think about their progression. It's very interesting to see how they've been progressing since chapter 50. We started with Lauren understandably being traumatized, frightened, scared out of her wits at what Kieran might do. And in the last two chapters, she's smiled because of him multiple times, which is like wild to see this progression. And While it's been lovely to see their relationship deepening in this way, and also see the very real trauma and hurt that both of them hold still, which I so respect Sophism and Ephemeris for handling in this way because trauma does not go away after some days. This event was major and it has affected them significantly and it has affected their relationship significantly and it deserves to be treated with that integrity and respect.
0: And it's held that weight in the story, and it continues to hold that weight.
1: Absolutely. And what I'm really curious to see from here, and I think that this is what will happen, and you can tell me your thoughts, Will, I think the true deepening of their relationship and like just being truly vulnerable with each other and actually confronting with each other what happened that night, I think that's going to be the emotional linchpin that season two heads out on. Like, I think that's going to be like a climax near the end of season two. What do you think?
0: I can definitely see that being the case, especially with the slow progression that we've had between these two characters.
1: Yeah, definitely. Speaking of slow progression, Kim and Will, they had a really nice episode in this arc.
0: Yeah, we've talked before in the recap episodes how some of those other moments didn't quite hit with us. This one was a home run.
1: For sure. I just love the way it came together. It was natural. It made sense. And it just felt so lovely and organic. And even some of the jokey moments afterwards where Lauren is like, you guys went for a meal without me? I didn't need to be there. It just tied together in such a lovely and funny way. Like it all made sense and it didn't feel inserted or forced in. And it just, it just worked. It worked for me. I think it worked for you. And I, love seeing moments like this from them and I really want to see more. So I'm looking forward to that too.
0: Yeah, me too. I'm also really looking forward to seeing what happens with this giant web of all these different players and all these different events and plot threads that are all starting to come together.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, you're absolutely right. I think we had some character-focused chapters and then some of the other ones were like moving the plot forward and We have got so many things in play. I have in my notes, like, listed all of them, and there are seven bullet points, which is wild. We have Chow's murder case reopening, the Sake investigation and Lauren's benching, the impending bombing from their Phantom Scythe investigation, uh, the whole Snapdragon thing with Sandman and Lauren's parents, Kieran's mission for the leader, and Herman's crusade to find Loon and the whole Soleil deal. There's so much in play. And there's probably even more that I've missed that I know the fans will have gathered the clues, but it's going to be interesting to see how this all comes together. I am not sure. Um, I don't know how Lauren and Kieran are sleeping at night because they're, they're deep in it.
0: <laughs> yeah, there are still so many questions. We always get more questions than answers. That's just one of the hallmarks of a good drama. So we're definitely, definitely invested.
1: We are along for the ride, and I'm also loving all the little tidbits that we've been learning about all these different characters, which is great because we're getting a peek behind the veil uh, of season one. In season two, we're getting a look behind everybody. We've gotten a look at Will. We've gotten a look at Kim a little bit. Uh, We already knew more about Lauren. She was the focus of season one, and Kieran is fascinating to me. He's the most fascinating to me, actually. And something that I didn't mention earlier that kind of struck me earlier when I was thinking about Belladonna's assassin career, she's been an assassin for 10 years, so she's been an assassin longer than Karen has since he started only around seven years ago. But that got me thinking, three years between the Allendale bombing and him working for the Phantom Scythe as an assassin, what happened in between those three years? what happened? (sighs) Gosh, I I want the answers to all of my questions now. Like I'm so impatient, but I know when it unfolds, it's going to be really satisfying.
0: Hopefully, we won't have to wait three years to find out.
1: Oh, gosh. This series was already really painful for me when it was on hiatus, so (laughs) let's hope not.
0: (laughs) Even waiting week by week is starting to get a little bit painful because of how exciting the story is getting right now
1: i know but that is the life we live as webtoon fans
0: we'll get it eventually but for now we're still on that ride
1: we definitely are and you know when the episodes are out we will be there with the next recap
0: most definitely thank you very much for listening to this recap episode as always we love doing these and we're going to do more
1: it's a given at this point
0: the webtoon room, Apple and and three caps. Yeah, you're right, Kurti.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we, we really appreciate you guys following along with us for the ride. And it's honestly been such a joy to catch up with so many of you over social media. Like, seriously, it's been the biggest pleasure to get your DMs, to talk with you, to message back and forth or comment. It means so much to us. And we're so grateful If you aren't on our social media yet, if you aren't following us yet, you can check us out at The Webtoon Room. And if you want to email us for anything or suggest a Webtoon for us to read, you can email us as well at thewebtoonroom at gmail.com. Thank you so much, you guys. It is such a pleasure making these episodes for you. It's, ugh, it's wonderful. You all are so lovely.
0: Yeah, thank you guys again so much. And I'm going to echo Crudy here. We really, really do appreciate you guys so much. Thank you.
1: We hope to see you all for an episode next week. We may have to take some more time off, and if that's the case, we'll let you know. But hopefully we'll be able to catch up with you all soon.
0: Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.
1: Bye.